0: Start rolling. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode. I think this is episode twelve. I think. I think so. Yeah. Rolling. Um, So we're talking about uh, the the BEM series, which is a foundational awareness series that we have been iterating on for God. It's been four years. About
1: that was the first. That was the first one. Yeah. That was the first. That was the. That's why I flew out to LA, and we were in Santa Monica with Ray Eugenio in that oh, right. little uh studio he built for nyu for their uh, online curriculums that was yeah. what we were
0: doing yep it was the first one and then we called it the awareness series because it was like the foundational uh course to bring you into understanding and appreciating the different levels or spheres of awareness and then more importantly how do you become familiar with and build a relationship with those different spheres of awareness and then give you tooling to be able to shift your state Depending on whatever you're engaging with, so um, you know the the breath and the body and the emotions and the you know the mind and the mood and that's essentially what what BEM is. It's a it's a it's a foundational tool for bringing you into the state of appreciation and awareness of who you are in the world and how do you interface with the world at large. Um, and it's much more juicy than that. There's a lot of really delicious things that are involved in this process of building that relationship with the self and. And also appreciating and understanding as a healing artist, as somebody who's creating work in the world, the more familiar you are with your tool, the more effective you are at cultivating and creating art. And you are your tool. You are ultimately the tool through which all creation exists. And so um, it's a really great foundational practice. So we've been iterating on it for years. And uh, we have a new uh, version of it that is that is going to be available for folks to engage with in the form of a... Um, Uh, an email series an email course and uh, for those of you who are learning how to build a business and want to make sure that you have a clear sense of what that looks like um, and how to be effective at that a big part of what you're going to be doing is how do you how do you capture an audience right how do you how do you accumulate an audience and that audience could be you know email lists it could be people on your social media platform it could be whatever it is and so we are approaching our lead magnet which is this bem series as an opportunity for capturing emails in exchange for a highly valuable foundational practice when it comes to building a relationship with your various parts of self called the bem series the the name goes to rue that, that was 100% Rue's creation uh, it was called the awareness series which was pretty direct and not very flashy and not very sexy at all but the bem series is kind of fun it's a fun little name that we've, that we've been playing with but Um, ultimately what we're talking about now before we jumped into recording is, excuse me, is, uh, what does a beefed up BEM series look like? So obviously people engaging from like a lead magnet perspective, engaging with, with the BEM series and getting a lot of value that, that tends to lead to an invitation to work either with us one-on-one or some invitation to to, to dive deeper. What does that look like? What does it mean to dive deeper into the VEM series is the question that Rue just asked. And I was jumping in on a little riff and he said, wait, 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 wait! hit that record button. So here we are. Now you're all caught up. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, no. I I was just going to say, so we were just talking about different ways that we can invite people to dive deeper into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jill was sharing... One option being people doing one-on-ones with us. Um, another option is more of a masterclass, um, where we break down the, uh, we just kind of go to another level. We take it down to more specifics and in a more detailed format, um, sharing of how one can establish um, this BIM practice um, as a, as a, a habit. And as something that becomes a consistent part of their lives, and just different ways that they can do that and approach it and appreciate it. Um, that you know, it would be hard to deliver that information, that type of information through email. Like that would require a little more um, attention from us and them. Um, mm-hmm. so I think I think both options are great. Mm-hmm. I think giving them the option to book a session with us to learn more and also, to um purchase a like a pre-recorded masterclass would be great mm-hmm. um and i i i just think the more pre-recorded stuff we have um because i think we have a lot to kind of tease out um the better mm-hmm. you know the better because i think we we i think we can get i think we get really familiar with the stuff we're talking about and so it just becomes like second nature and we don't realize we've just been talking about it for so long and doing it for so long that that's not like someone who's just introduced to it, isn't going to receive it in that way. Mm -hmm. You know, and Mm -hmm. like we're conversing about it from a place of having gone over it numerous times and added to it and enhanced it and updated it just in our own personal practices. Mm -hmm. So it is more so just like an embodied evolution for us, Whereas for another person, it's like an athlete or like a, a, yeah, an athlete that's just naturally athletic, right? You know, they jump high, they run fast, they're very coordinated. A lot of times those people really don't understand how other people can't do those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can use any other example as well, but I just am most familiar with it through sports. And then it's why a lot of really great athletes aren't very good coaches Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. It's just an embodied awareness they have, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's hard to explain that and break it down when it's just like almost as easy as waking up and breathing in and out. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't really know how I do this. I just do it, (laughs) you know, and I think that's where we're at with a lot of these different things that the more I share about them with other people, the more I realize, oh, oh, I really need to like break this down into more granular details than than I would if, you know, if I was just speaking with you because it just may mm-hmm. not be something that's familiar to a lot of people so I think that's something we should definitely keep keep playing with and exploring because I think I don't think I know we have a lot we have a lot mm-hmm. we have a lot you know we have like this is an example of an addition to some of the foundational blocks that we have you know we have BEM we have goals, Um, we have flow, Um, you know, it's like we can break goals down into more of the goal setting piece Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: the flow piece, Mm -hmm. you know, and from there we can expand. Um, And these are, these are just like the three main kind of components of the curriculums that we've created. I'm getting excited thinking about just like how much more, is going to come from them just by teasing them out and breaking them down
0: mm-hmm. yeah was it uh gosh mungus I, i'm blanking on his name he's the jazz the jazz musician that i was actually messaging about a couple couple weeks ago a week ago um but he said something along the lines of like and maybe it's not his original work and i'm gonna paraphrase and butcher it but um there is a phrase that some great person has said before probably many times over by various other people but this idea of being able to make the complicated simple is that's where it's at right many people many many people in the world have made a whole lot of fucking money off of making simple things complicated and then selling people a a solution to something that's very simple that's very complicated the solution is complicated and therefore they're like i gotta spend a lot of money on this it seems very valuable it seems complicated But to take something that is otherwise complicated, like the human body, right, or consciousness, or our awareness, or how to exercise and engage with peak experiences, or the practice of breath work and the effects it has on the body, or the beauty of embodied cognition, or what it means to use your body as a tool to create and and understanding and appreciating what that means, like so many aspects of that can be complicated, and a lot of people have made a lot of money off of making things complicated and or have gatekeeped a lot of way in a lot of ways to keep people from having access to that information. Like we've talked about this a number of times and this was actually a really big point of inspiration for many for us when we first started was this the the tools that I was gifted that have led to a whole host of things at BRT studio, one of them being the practice of breathwork. I had to spend buku bucks going to a treatment center for that. Lots and lots of money and lots of like destruction of my life in order for the, for me to even get there. Right. And I remember asking myself the question, why did I have to hit this rock bottom place for me to get access to these foundational tools that seem so simple? They seem like they could have kept me from finding myself here if I had been taught them five years prior. Right. Or you had to go to uh, Bristol and spend some buku bucks on a nice master's degree from a very beautiful, prestigious university in theater. and you were taught a whole slew of things that seem to be so simple, but they were, they're were kept by the people who use them. And not necessarily intentionally, maybe some people intentionally, but ultimately there is a lack of access to these foundational tools that we have cultivated in our own lives, that we've discovered in a variety of ways that can be a life-changing experience for someone if they just had access to it. And so I think that's going back to some of our roots in the sense of, the bridge. We talked about this idea being the bridge between the haves and the have nots, right? The people who have access to this information, the means by which they can get these, get access to these tools, the financial resources to be able to put themselves in situations where they're exposed to these things and the people who would benefit most from them, but simply do not have access for a variety of reasons, whether it's resources, whether it's awareness, whether it's time, whatever it might be. And bridging that gap was a big part of what BRT, uh, was created to do in the early days and unconsciously still in a lot of ways operates that way we're still still doling out service. don't we're we're, we're slanging knowledge we're sl- we're slanging embodied cognition we're slanging flow we're slanging like these things to people that otherwise wouldn't have access to it and it's a beautiful thing um but yeah the the bem deep dive masterclass teaching people the foundations of how to build a habit I think is a big part of that, right? Like ha- habit building, there's a science to it, right? And everybody talks about James Clear and, you know, the the Atomic Habit, which is a wonderful book that was inspired by uh, Charles Duhigg, which is The Power of Habit. And that, like, I'm a Charles Duhigg guy. I read Charles Duhigg before James Clear came out with the the um, Atomic Habit. And so I never dug into the, the Atomic Habit beyond just listening to the audiobook. But like, I really dug into James Clear's work and was like, or not James Clear, excuse me, Charles Duhigg's work, and I was like, this is really fucking good. As somebody who was trying to understand the relationship between my behaviors and these patterns that I was creating in my life, and like, why was I acting a certain way? Why would I do these things? What is the trigger? What is the behavior? What is what is the reward? And understanding foundationally what is a habit, and how do I find a way to build a healthier habit? Excuse me, around something like the BEM series is I think a really powerful thing that people would benefit from. So yeah, we gave you the how, or we gave you the what, you know, we gave you the what of, of what is it that we're teaching you? We're teaching you these, these spheres of, uh, uh, these concentric spheres of, of, of awareness and your breath and your body and your emotions and your mind and your mood. And we're giving you tools to be able to engage. So there's the what and, and the how, right. But even more importantly is why are you doing it and how do you make it a habit so that it actually benefits your life and is not just something that you're entertaining as a spiritual entertainment, right? A, a, a nice uh, piece of candy that you're eating because it feels good in that moment. Like, no, no, let's allow for this to actually be something that shapes your 2024. Let's allow this to be something that actually shapes how you show up in the world. Um, and that's fun. And you know, I like to I like to jump on my podium. As Bailey likes to say, I got my spirit podium. I'm down to be Professor Professor J and talk through that. Um, and then the other thing, right, we like the flow cycle and and I, I've i given lectures on the flow cycle before and tied it into how people can benefit from it. Like that's another example. Like we could create another email, you know, free email that, uh, you know, gives people the foundations of the flow cycle and it's an email course and they engage in it and they love it and whatever. And then we invite them at the end of it to do a deeper dive, to come to a master class, to listen to a, a live recording, whatever it is, but just giving people an option to engage even further is ultimately what it is. And so you give people the candy, or you give people the, you know, the vitamin, or you give people whatever you want to call it, the analogy that you want to use. And then you invite them in for a meal. Like, yeah, why don't you come to the table? Like, let's have, let's have a full meal together. Let's really find nourishment from these tools that we're talking about, because they have the, the potential to change your life. They've changed mine, they've changed ruse, they've changed this person's, that person's that person's. there's dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of people that we can point to to say, hey, they've experienced these things. They've benefited from these things, and now their life is like this as a result of it. And that's a benefit of four years of work together. Um, but also, more importantly, the benefit of just like having solutions that really work because we're not not in the business of duping people and not in the business of just trying to pull the wool over people's heads. Like We're trying to find the foundation of what is the biology, what is the most fu- fundamental if we were to take this thing and, and boil it down to the fundamental common denominator, what is the thing we can point to that says this is going to work for you? And that's ultimately what we're getting at. But I'm I'm podiuming I'm podiuming right now, podiuming right now. What was the topic? We had a topic we wanted to talk about today. We were we were real inspired yesterday, Rue. What bring us? Yeah, yeah, to yeah. That.
1: It was about um I pulled it up. It was about, and I appreciate you getting on your podium. Um <laughs> Gave us some new stuff that we can add. Um, Let's see. Let's see. It was an Instagram post that you sent me. Let's see. Give the dude mm-hmm. Brandon Bozarth. Give him a little mm-hmm. shout out. He posted a, an Instagram uh, series uh, with the title. A study was done recently where they created a utopia for mice. And this is what happened. Um. I'm not going to read the whole thing but they they created a utopia for mice. This is essentially, you know, like a um a controlled scientific experience. And that you could you could kind of compare to the society we live in. You know, it's like we essentially live in a in a utopia in the sense that we do not have to deal with something bigger, stronger, more ferocious and dangerous than us on the natural food chain on a day-to-day basis. Now, we know that's not the case. We know there's all kinds of nefarious actors at work. We know there are always bigger energies, bigger forces, bigger institutions that are doing things in um, maybe more subtle ways, um, or they've just convinced us that this is normal. And so it may not seem like dangerous. It may just seem like this is tradition. but I just want to say that because, you know, I was reading this and I was like, yeah, you know, it's like, it's such a difference when that predator, you know, is, is contrived. And when it's just a part of your, your, your habitat and your environment, there's, there's a difference. Um, both can lead to the same result, harm, death, fear, but they're like, their reason for existing is, is different. Um, and so it has a different impact. But essentially, this is, this is the environment they created for these mice. There were no predators. Um, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to read it. <laughs> Do it. So in this rat paradise, there were rooms, tunnels, play areas, etc. But it was enclosed and, of course, had no predators. Because of this, as the population grew, there were always new males attacking the alpha and battling for his spot, and thus his group of female mice he claimed and would breed with. As the mice would fail to beat the alpha, they would suffer a territory loss. Conflict and their testosterone would dip and estrogen would raise and they would become a biological beta beta male. Now we have an environment with which is uh, with an abnormally high amount of betas, where in nature, the mouse would find another territory and attempt to become an alpha and start over. In mouse utopia, this was not even an option. Because of the increased challenges, the alpha grew very tired and at times gave up defending their territory. So in response, the mothers that were regularly attacked, the mothers that were regularly attacked and to survive, Okay, hold on. So he would give up defending his territory and the mothers, um, his, his baby mamas. And they were regularly attacked. And to survive, these mothers would abandon their pups. And oftentimes these pups would die of neglect or they would be kicked out early so the female can flee and be safe rather than constantly defending their young in the absence of the protection of the alpha. Now we see deviant behavior from the mothers in response. The mice that were perpetually defeated by the alpha uh, turned to grooming themselves and being groomed by other males. They were referred to as the beautiful ones. They completely lost their interest in sex and women. And so, and as a result of the lack of sex and the healthy social development in the mice and pups, the population started to decline. By the 21st month, of the, the newborn pups rarely survived more than a few days, and eventually new births stopped altogether. Eventually the betas died out and the reproduction stopped. In just under five years from the inception of this utopia, the population went to zero. Takeaways. Living unnaturally without being able to adapt can literally kill a species off. Without females feeling protected and with a male mice and with a, and with without females feeling protected and with a male mouse under constant attack. I wonder who wrote this. I think he had a I write this There's, or he just doesn't know how to write <laughs> with, with this is ridiculous with uh, a male mice under constant attack. The pups are abandoned and don't develop socially. The betas after perpetual defeat turn to beauty, grooming and bonding with other males and lose interest in sex altogether. Since we are not mice, we can use our higher forms of thinking and awareness to exist in a society that is set up this way. But it would require us to fully integrate and transcend our animal nature without the and without the tools to do so, we become the mice. And then his invitation is the question, what do you see? And so I just want to also mention he mentions that he learned this from the podcast podcast. Uh, from this woman Andy Lock-Miers, um who is the founder uh, bio of bio bio health Institute and the study is sourced from science history uh, Mouse Heaven or Mouse hell so just want to double check those those sources um to make sure you know they're legit legit but we both thought it was a really interesting um, post, nonetheless, and it's something that um, I think about sometimes um, when I think about living in a society that I I don't deem as natural. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anything that is disconnected from nature and extracts from nature without you know some sort of reciprocity. Uh, as much as our society does that's not natural you know mm-hmm. that is um that is cancerous that is that is um a decay that's a decaying inducing behavior and it shows up in so many ways that um it can it can kind of be a little crazy making um and so what we were talking about was how you know like this notion of a utopia is really um flawed because in my mind a utopia implies some sort of control some sort of um what's it called when you uh, like sterilization utopias mm. feel very sterile because if, if and this is just my personal opinion i think the only thing that's or the most natural thing is nature mm. right and so people talk about and create an image whether it's a past indigenous peoples or you know potential future environments of people living in one and in harmony with nature. Now, this brings up a lot of different images and thoughts and feelings of, I don't know, like playing with raccoons and Pocahontas or like connecting the braids of your hair to the tree and Avatar and just beautiful, very, very beautiful imagery. But to me, it's like every time I'm in nature, I'm always in awe and inspired Mm. by just how harmonious the innate disharmony of nature is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It is chaos. Mm -hmm. There is death. There is constant destruction. There is decay. And at the same time, there is beauty. There are delicious smells. There are fruits, you know? But that fruit could just as easily kill you. It could be poisonous. That snake Mm. that's so beautiful with its skin and its snails could have venom in its fangs you know, mm. there's always, there's always more under the surface. And so it just got us talking about how being disconnected from that, from that disharmonious harmony, that is nature, right? Already kind of cuts us off from like a real experience of, of life, you know, mm. as we're living in simulation. The next part was how we are just inherently born with this weird kind of brain fuck um, about being the uh, most dominant species on the food chain while having removed ourselves almost entirely from the food chain. Hmm. So that at this point, like, obviously there's still predators out there, you know, that could do us harm. But we're not living in fear of those predators the way we would have in, in the past or the way people still do in some more indigenous um communities um so maybe now for us it, it's the weather it's climate change you know it, it's something technological or something like that but when it comes to operating in a food chain like having this <laughs> you know what it is and it's tied hand in hand with it and i didn't even think about this yesterday it's white supremacy mm. This is exactly how white supremacy operates. You know, like for a lot of white people, the not all, not all, but for a lot of white people, the idea that their superiority, their sense of superiority is really only r- relevant or of value because of the uh, uh, infliction of repression and inferiority on so many other people of color Mm -hmm. to wrestle with that reality of like self-identity that's crazy making Mm. that's literally crazy making that your value as like a as a a, someone that wants to identify as being a part of a certain race really comes from the dehumanization of billions of other people Mm. and the planet right and so it's like okay white is right white is on the top This is the superior man, the superior gene pool, all this stuff. And yet, there is a disconnect that happens from the rest of nature, from the rest of the world. You cut yourself off from the harmony of the other human beings that are existing with you when you make up in your mind this narrative, once again, these stories, that it is okay to kill people, to rape people, to steal from people over and over and over again because it's gonna benefit you. Hmm. Now, white people are not the only group to have done this, but in this modern time, that's the world we're living in, right? Mm-hmm. This is the very real reality. And, and then it just, you know, everything from industrialization to the technological revolution, to the enlightenment, that's all coming within this context of being disconnected from nature. The conquest, the need to um, um, say, I have power. I have dominion over, it. this is mine. Mm. Right. And and I'm going to make sure it's not yours. Right. By any means possible. That is that's insanity. And that's the society we live in. You know, that's mm. in the Western world. That is the reality of the air we breathe. And it's crazy making. It's, it's not natural. It's inhumane. And it's cruel. And it's wrong. But it has become normal. Mm. Mm. And just because something's normal doesn't mean it's natural. Right. But this is the world we're living in. And so this all stemmed from this post that Jalil shared with me about this, this mice utopia and and the effects it had on the mice. And um, you know, the last thing I'll say about it, and, and then we started talking about how, you know, it affects humans, is and I feel like it's something Jamie has mentioned in the past, Jamie Wheel from Flow Genome Project, who we reference on here a lot, because he's had a big impact on us. I think he said something where it's like sometimes in order to evolve, right? And this wasn't what he said, but sometimes in order to evolve, we have to do things that would let me let me rephrase. It was like sometimes in order to like thrive, we have to do things that seem like they put our survival at risk. So it's counterintuitive to evolution, right? Mm -hmm. And so what, what that post and what that quote just makes me think of is how, it's like, how do we, you and me specifically in this conversation, but also anyone listening to this, how do we want to engage with that act of risking our survival, risking our life? Because we know that on the other side of that risk, on the other side of that behavior, that's not done from a foolish place. Or, you know, like a half-baked idea place, but from a well-thought-out, well-intentioned, well-planned place, we know there's going to be more opportunity to thrive, more opportunity to have more flow, more opportunity to have more health, more peace, more well-being. Not just for us and our family, but for more and more people. Um, And it's like, how do we kind of get over the hump of that survival mechanism? What's mine is mine. Because I'm ultimately afraid that I'm going to, the one thing that's guaranteed to us the moment we're born is we're going to die. So it's running the narrative from the beginning. I'm ultimately afraid of what's inevitable. So let me hold on to dear life, for dear life, to dear life, knowing, knowing that I'm eventually going to lose it. That is insanity. That is insanity. Um, and yet, that is what has become our humanity, um, specifically in the Western world. I can't speak for any other part of the world. I've only ever grown up here, spent most of my life here. But that is that is what I know. That's been my experience. Um, and so it's, it's a question. It's an invitation to explore, you know, like what are steps we can take? What are tools we can use? What are mindset um, shifts that we can make so that we can start living from a place of Oh, I, I have everything. I'm good. Living from a place of life instead of li- living from a place of fear of death.
0: Beautifully yeah, If you said, yeah. And I think there's the reality of it is that human beings, we are evolutionarily, we need something to threaten us. Like we need that sense of, of, of something, a life threatening experience And so if we don't have it or we don't create it for ourselves and obviously, as you mentioned, doing it in an intentional way where we're, you know, uh, thoughtful and and not just half baked, but actually really thoughtful and intentional about how we're creating moments where we can experience that, uh, you know, that je ne sais quoi, like that almost I'm I'm, I'm on the verge of losing my life, right? So that we can build that relationship with the fear of death and being okay with that.
1: Well, it's, and I didn't say it when I was speaking, but it's the practice of resurrection. Right. You know, it's 100%. ultimately that. Um, mm-hmm. Just wanted to, to add that in there.
0: Yeah. And that's that's exactly it. And I think that if we don't create it for ourselves, right, because I'm sure there are some people who are listening and are like, what? That sounds crazy. I don't want to do that. Like, why would I put my life at risk? Like, nobody's telling you to go poke a polar bear, right? But I think... <laughs> What it what is important to understand is that if you do not create moments where you are forced to fight for your survival in some capacity or another, your brain will create situations where you're fighting for your for your survival in some way or another, right? It is going to happen, and it's going to be the demons or the or the or the polar bear is going to be your internal world. It's going to be you. It's going to be your sugar intake. It's going to be uh, your obesity. It's going to be your high blood pressure. It's going to be your mental illness. It's going to be your financial disaster that you create for yourself to feel some sense of aliveness. Like It's going to happen in some way, shape, or form if you do not create it. Or it's going to be the fact that you live a numbing life, a dull, numbing life where you feel like you're doing nothing but waiting to die. And that is a miserable place to be. Go ahead. And that
1: unfortunately is where so many of us are,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, there is, there is a, 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 it's a fact. There's a stat that over the last like 10 or 15 years, I think it was more people have died from suicide mm-hmm. than wars and natural disasters combined. Mm-hmm. And that number, I think it, it, that was those from like 2018. Right. That number is going up. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are offering themselves, opting for the delete button. Mm -hmm. And we don't hear about it unless they're famous or unless we know them. But a lot of people are at that place, Jay. Mm -hmm. You know, you've been at that place. Mm -hmm. I've been very close to that place. But I, you know what? Let me see the floor a bit because you've been been at that place. I would love to see how you got to the ledge and brought it back. Because that yeah. was quick story before Jay shares his his story, there was a video that I came across on youtube of of Jay from like uh end of twenty eighteen early twenty nineteen mm-hmm. and he was it was a poem, and it, I just saw it on uh our youtube channel, and what was it called flight or airplane
0: flight patterns
1: flight patterns mm-hmm. and it was. I'll let you like share more about it, but it was, I didn't recognize him. His eyes were dead. The video, the lighting was dark. It was ominous. It was an ominous energy. And I'm looking at this person who I'm looking across from me right now, you know, and and the first time I, I, you know, I saw the difference was a year after that video. So like just showing you how quick the transition happened and the, the level up occurred. And I was, I was looking at his pictures, and you know we were talking pretty regularly on, on video, on uh, Zoom and all that, and I'm like, "That is a completely different human." And it's almost like where you wanted to go when you wanted to hit the delete button, it did happen, but it happened in a way so that, thankfully, you didn't have to take yourself out of here completely. Um, but there was a shift internally so that you could still be here and allow that person and those qualities to go but also be integrated in a healthy way um i'm gonna shut up because it's it's your turn to speak because that was that was like it blew my mind when i saw that shift
0: yeah maybe we'll we'll link it out for people on the on the youtube page if you want to see it it still exists and i think it's uh it is an interesting poem because if you if you look at the person in that poem, and I and I reference that person as if it's a different person because it really is. It's a completely different person, not only psychologically, emotionally, mentally, but also like physically. Like that person does not exist anymore, um, from like a cellular perspective. Like that is a very different person, and you um, know, again, I say that like not not casually. Like it's a very different person, and uh, the on the surface, I was clean shaven. My hair was nice. I was wearing a button-up shirt, probably. (laughs) You know, I had all the things. I had the family and the nice car, and the Brooklyn apartment. And you know, I was taking classes at the Brick, which was this media company. Shout out to the Brick, this uh, community-based media company in in Brooklyn that would, uh, after you take some classes with them, they'll let you rent out some camera equipment. And I, I filmed this on one of their cameras, and uh, had a lavalier microphone. Like it was the person that created that poem invested a lot of time and energy in themselves to satisfy what he believed is was was necessary to be quote unquote, successful in the world, or to be quote, unquote, well adjusted to the world, or to be quote, unquote, a good human being. And I was real good at playing the role. So good that I was, you know, recognized as somebody who was a highly effective top performer at my organization, my You know, in every capacity of of success possible at 25, 26 years old, whatever it was at that point, like I was doing it, making over six figures, doing the international trips. You know, if you've been following us around long enough, like you've heard a version of this story before. Um, But I was very much so doing all of the right things because I thought that that's what I needed to do to quote unquote be successful. And in the process of doing all the right things, I did things like suppress my anger. I did things like drink because that's what other people did. I did things like uh, pretend like I didn't have any sort of challenges or emotions or things of that nature because that's what other people did and what other people expected of me. I got really good at being real cool about everything and not responding to any situation in any capacity. I had a flat affect through and through. And that made me the calm cool collected dude that people looked at and said he's got it together clearly nothing can phase him you know i think at this point there's all kind of shit that happened like two or three years prior to that like I, a coworker of mine committed suicide my uh dad had gotten in his accident and was burned on 53 percent of his body and i was managing his finances while he was in a coma flying between california and pennsylvania um uh, caring for him making medical medical little literal medical decisions for him while i'm working at this job that i had just gotten that i was trying to figure out how to be successful at because i just had a new baby like there were so many things that happened this concentration of like my cousin um his daughter passed away unexpectedly in a very traumatic and, and tragic event my best friend's dad who was very much of a father figure for me passed away my best friend's grandmother passed away. There was just like a whole host of things that happened within that three to four year period right before that. And I was calm, cool, collected, couldn't be phased by it. Still showing up at work, handling shit, had a baby, got married, uh, got a new job, became a big boy real quick. Like so many things happened. And not a single thing phased me, except when my coworker committed suicide, because he was also that person that people pointed to and said, he's got it together. Look at that guy. He's so happy all the time. He's smiling all the time. He's so helpful. He's somebody that people go to for things. People can rely on him. And I saw a lot of myself in him. And that shook me to my fucking core. I was like, oh, if he could do it. Like, I know how I feel internally. I don't tell people about it. I don't share it externally. I play a really good role of I got this shit together. But I know that in my heart of hearts, when it's, when it's dark and I'm by myself, and nobody's looking, your boy's hurting, right? And that, that shook me. So I'm giving you the context in which this transformation took place. So I'm in New York City, and uh, the biggest thing for me was the, the biggest unlock that, that was the catalyst for so many other things was the animal work, which we've talked about before, and experiencing the power of the eagle and this embodiment of another creature that was soaring over all the problems because I felt like I was being weighted down by this need to hold on to the story of who I am in this world. And I'm giving you like three years, like, you know, there's at this point, 24, 25, 26 years of trauma and things that I I hadn't processed properly up to this point of father being in prison, domestic violence in my home, homelessness, uh, being on my own since I'm 15, like, like all of these things I'm carrying with me up until this point. So the Eagle gave me an opportunity to experience what it's like to be free and to experience levity and to quite literally soar above my problems and this playful uncontained free flowing way and that was the first introduction to me of holy shit I can shift my state to something completely different than what I'm carrying every single day so we're talking about you know this this need to to put your to put your life on the line if you will that was one moment where i was practicing resurrection where i let the idea of who i understand myself to be die And I was willing to be a fool in front of a bunch of people on a Zoom camera in the middle of a class with, you know, in the middle of my Brooklyn basement. And that was like the first taste of that, right? Like put yourself in a situation where it feels like you are in mortal danger. We all have public speaking fears on some degree to some on some spectrum, some level. We all fear the possibility of being judged or laughed at in some way, right? And so all of that happened in that moment, and I was like, "Holy shit! There's another way to be. I I need that. I need more of that." But the reality for me was that uh, I had more practicing of resurrection to do. Like I needed to die more to the ideas of who I understand myself understood myself to be. So I did. I got very close to the edge, and you know what happened is that the rest of my life started crumbling. All the things that I was quote unquote good at started falling away. My wife and I started having challenges. My job started struggling. My son and I weren't as close as we used to be. And all of the things that I had built up in my life to prove to myself and other people that I was actually good started to crumble. And what was left was this terrified little boy who had so many pains and problems that he didn't quite know how to handle. And I couldn't hide from the world anymore. So what ended up happening is I, uh, didn't want to experience the pain of letting all of those things go one i didn't want to experience the pain of people realizing who i really am which is a flawed human being in the world that was a big one for me two and three i thought if i can't do these things if i can't be successful at being a father being a husband being a good employee and being somebody that people respect and admire i'm not worth living it's not i'm not worthy of life at that point because so much of my identity was rooted in the expectations of other people and what they needed me to be for them for them to feel okay codependency 101 we'll talk about that another time so i'm not i won't go into detail excuse me because i don't want trigger warnings and such but i had a whole plan (laughs) excuse me need some water give me a second So I had a whole plan, knew the exact date, the location, all the things that I was going to (coughs) engage in the act of taking my life. It was going to be the day after my wife left because she was moving to California, moving back to California indefinitely and bringing my son with her. I think at the time, Tom, you might've been, uh, Tom, Rue, you might've had, um, uh, Nala and I was uh, Tom then last yeah. time then I'm and i the think office.
1: i did have nala and also i just really quickly want to acknowledge one the fact that you're sharing this thank you because mm-hmm. it's brave um and authentic and also that cough is really authentic <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i just want to shout that out because there's some shit that's coming out with the expression of this even though we've talked about this time and time again um cuz you very rarely are coughing ever mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm big big ups to you for continuing to clear that shit.
0: Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean there's layers, right? There's I think that's the beauty of this life is that we will spiral forever. We will always spiral up and ideally up and even if it doesn't seem like we're spiraling up, we are and and I'm this is a, a direction that I have spiraled before. Um but I'm seeing it from a different perspective now at this, at this point in my life. And there are definitely layers to, to release and, and to let go of. And it's actually about, because the program, the, the rise and thrive program was in February, right. Of 2020, no, 2018, 2019? 2019, 2019, Yeah. So yeah. We're coming up on the anniversary of that five years ago. Um, we're just a few weeks away. And by the time this podcast comes out, actually, it'll be about the anniversary actually. Um, of that of that experience that i had in the brooklyn basement and so i'm at this point where i have a plan my wife is leaving bringing my son with him with her um my job is falling apart i'm literally hiding from my coworkers at this point like my i'm not showing up to work hr is calling my wife because i'm not responding to text messages emails and phone calls my uh uh, my solutions engineer, sales engineer, because I'm I was in sales at the time, still am, but I was in sales at the time, and uh, he comes to my house, literally shows up at my house, trying to figure out what the hell's going on, because he's like, I'm worried about you, bro. Like, what what's happening? What is happening? And uh, I'm ducking, dodging, diving, just getting getting out of dodge over and over again. And uh, ultimately, that that you know, it comes down to this realization that. If I don't do something about this, I am going to hit that delete button. And that moment wasn't a moment of like thought. It was a moment of like like God coming down, logos coming through. I was walking through walking to the A train in Brooklyn. And uh I remember it being, you know, early spring. It was like April, um, maybe May. And uh yeah, I was <laughs> walking down the street and I looked up at the sky and I remember cause it had been cold. It had been cold winter for me. And it was like, it snowed and it was, you know, a decent real winter for this California boy. And, uh, I remember looking up at the sky. And I was like, it's kind of beautiful. Like it's blue and it's beautiful. And like, Holy shit, I don't think I want to die. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to not experience these things anymore. And I was going through the whole process of planning and, as I mentioned, but I was ritualizing. Like I bought my son a pair of shoes. I wrote him a letter. Like I was doing the whole thing. I was saying goodbye to people, and uh, that led to me checking myself into a treatment into um, a treatment facility. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened in between all that. But I'm going to keep the story brief. Earth, and I've I've been going so far, which is the transformation took place when I said, "Who I have been up to this point needs to die, but I don't need to take my life for that." Those are two very different things. The person that I was up until that 27 years of life needed to be the person that he was to survive the circumstances that he had experienced. He needed to be that person in order to survive the challenges of his life. And for that person, I am forever grateful. Because the person that's standing in front of you today, that's on this microphone speaking to you today for folks listening, would not be here if it was not for 27 years of Jaleel navigating the chaos of his life and finding a way to show up in spite of the headwinds, in spite of the unlikelihood of his success and his well-being. Love that man forever, but he had to die. That did not mean I needed to take my life, but he had to die. Because... He was keeping me from being able to experience what it means to be alive, actually. That person was surviving. He was doing everything he could to survive according to expectations, roles, responsibilities, all the things that he had bodied, embodied and taken on to prove to the world that he's going to be a well-balanced human being in spite of all the challenges. So dying to who I understand myself to be literally meant for me completely leaving everything that I had built up to that point. My wife and I were separated. I had a small, a young son at the time. He went back to California. I left my car. I left my dog. Ru was watching Nala for a cool minute. Um, I left my job. And I said, fuck it. I can't do it anymore. Like none of this actually matters to me. If I if I'm not alive, right? Like if I'm literally not alive, it does not matter to me. So I checked myself into a treatment facility in Florida and it was in that place where I allowed the idea of Jalil to die that I discovered who I actually am. It was in this place of disconnection. I had left, I didn't have access to a phone. I didn't have access to TV. I didn't have access to anything outside of the room that I was living in. And the classes I was going to on a regular basis, and the treatment program that they had offered me, and the gym a couple times a week, and whatever you know, um, AA meetings that they would take us to in a car. Like I had no freedom. I was carted from place to place. If I wanted to go somewhere, it had to be with the group. And we did grocery shopping. You know, um, I know that we didn't do we didn't gro- we didn't do grocery shopping. then actually, I went grocery shopping after I got out. But anything that I needed to do, gym go to my classes and my programs, my therapy sessions, yoga classes, AA meetings. Everything was with the group in a van. They carted us from house to wherever we were going. Could not leave the property, none of that. And so in this place of being devoid of all the distractions and all the comforts that we cultivate in our lives to keep us from really dealing with ourselves and who the fuck we really are, were stripped away from me. And what was left was a scared little boy that had no idea how the fuck to live and how to be a whole human being in the world. So we're talking about this utopia idea, right? And how we have devoid ourselves of the life-threatening experiences that allow for us to truly feel alive. Well, one of the most life-threatening things that we can experience as a human being is a possible ostracization from our community. And in doing the things that I did, I was ostracized from my work environment. Because I just dipped on everybody and just like, what happened to that guy? I have no idea. These are people who, again, I had a great relationship with. Um, I was seen as someone who was successful and respected and admired within the organization. My wife leaving that relationship ostracized me from my whole family when it comes to my in-laws and and my son and all of that. And so I literally experienced an emotional, relational, psychological death. (laughs) Necessary. It has to happen, right? Sometimes we have to be willing to be ostracized from our community to discover who the fuck we really are. It is what it is. We have to be willing. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen, but we have to be willing to be ostracized from our community to discover who we really are. And sometimes that means we have to go against the grain of what's expected of you, right? It's the Bob Keegan socialized mind. When I am in the socialized mind, I'm operating according to the expectations of the people that have raised me, groomed me, given me life and love. And to get out of that socialized mind and to step into self authorship, I have to be willing to be disliked by them. And that's what happened for me. It was a death experience. And Then more importantly, at least more relevantly to the stuff that we're talking about, because I'm not advocating for people to delete themselves from their entire lives, that's definitely not necessary for you to have that type of experience where you can cultivate a sense of who you are, but having small doses of it is necessary on a regular basis. And the thing that was really transformative for me, and actually something that we teach at BRT Studio that is a microcosm of that, is breathwork. It is the act of breathwork. And there are many different types of breathwork. You jump onto the BEM series, you'll be introduced to the Heart Coherence Meditation, which is very much so a form of breathwork. You listen to Wim Hof, and he does that breathing practice that everybody calls a Wim Hof method, but it's actually a Tibetan method. That is a form of breathwork. The style of breathwork that I was introduced to is a Pranayama breathwork that's it's rooted in, in traditions in India, is a therapeutic form of breathwork that allowed for me to have a death of my nervous system, a death of all the identities and sense of self of who I think I'm supposed to be in this world, and a release of all of that to discover what's left. Right? When I'm no longer holding so tightly to this notion or this, this story of who I understand myself to be, what is left? right? What is left? If I let it all go, if my job goes away, my wife goes away, my son goes away, my car goes away, every relationship that I've ever cultivated in my life go away, I'm still here. I am still me. Who the fuck am I then? Who is that person? And that practice of engaging in that space on a regular basis is a transformative experience or anybody who's willing to do it because it does feel like death, especially in the beginning, because it feels real scary. The first time You're like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I breathing this way? My heart's beating like this. I'm feeling all sweaty. My mouth is all dry. I feel like shit. Am I going to throw up? I have no idea why I'm doing. Why did I say yes to this? This is miserable. Oh my. And then you realize on the other side of all of that, that holy shit, there's a lot of peace here. It's the it's the Wendell Berry quote, right? I wouldn't give a fig for this side uh of complexity or the simplicity on this side of complexity, but I will give my life for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. And that is what happens in breathwork, right? You willingly step into and step through the complexity of who the fuck are you mm. without all of those things that you've been holding on to for your entire life because it give you a sense of purpose and understanding of who you are. What happens when you go through a practice of dying to all of those things to find simplicity on the other side. Mm. What does that mean to you? How does that feel? That's it. You're going to say something.
1: Well, you just ended with that's it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's it. (laughs) And that was beautiful. All I was going to say, I was just going to tie in how the, the type of breath work that we do in the long form sessions that Jalil was describing. If anyone who's listening has ever been next to someone as they're dying, it's Mm -hmm. very similar to that death rattle. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was next to my father, maybe an hour or two before he passed, but he was gone already. He was. (gasps) And it's, it's, it's a very, um, um, It's a very, honestly, I didn't know how to deal with it when I was seeing it. I was lying to myself, I was in denial. I was telling this man that this was a body who was breathing, it was used to be my father mentally, but was gone, it's okay, you know, you're gonna make it through, we'll be back. Cause I I had to get on a plane in like an hour or so, or like two hours. But that was just because I couldn't handle what I was Mm -hmm. watching. I I Mm -hmm. couldn't, it was so intense. Um, that I just, I numbed it, I shut it down, and I created a narrative that was, you know, just to help me survive. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying all that to say, the breath work we do is very similar to that death rattle. And there's a reason why it has such an intense effect. um, Because physically, physiologically, your body, your brain is thinking it's dying. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it is You are putting yourself in a space. You are Let me just say it like this. You are making the brave decision to put yourself in a space of safety by expressing your authenticity and releasing all the nonsense, all the bullshit, all the fear, all the stories and roles and characters that you've been playing in your life. So like Jay said, you don't have to poke a polar bear. You don't have to cliff jump. You don't have to shark cage dive. You don't have to play with guns right you don't have to join a military anything crazy like that join a gang you can literally do it you lay down on your floor and you breathe in a certain way 30 40 minutes an hour and when you make it a practice it doesn't even take that long for you to feel the shift and the full transformation and so my question would be for for anyone listening um cuz we're going to close it up here in just a minute is If you could die before you died, how would you want to die? How would you want your death to be? If you could actually control that and make that a habit, the one thing that's guaranteed to us the moment we're born is that we are going to die. For now. Maybe the technology's here to do the reverse aging and the immortality. But what we know right now Is that as long as we've been around, the minute you're born, you are guaranteed to die. So why not get really well acquainted with that one thing, that one experience? You're guaranteed, and that connects you to every other other body, not just person, but every other body, every other being on the planet, instead of running away from it. You know? How do you want to die if you could choose? There's the, I think it's a Native American proverb, today is a good day to die. Mm -hmm. You know, that I don't know, I don't remember who said it, but it's beautiful for a warrior. You know, you walk in a battle with that mindset. Today is a good day to die. Mm -hmm. You know, life can be a battle. Mm. And I think when we shift the mindset from one of fear of the battle to one of acceptance, that fight becomes a dance. Mm. And we can play. Instead of having to make it a game that has to do with winning or losing, which creates stress, which creates disease, which leads to death. Hmm. We plan ourselves. we playing ourselves over and over again, like the fucking you know, mega millions. <laughs> 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 We're just playing our fucking selves and at the same time it's like the 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 these practices are so simple. They're readily accessible. They're right there and they are free. We're just here to share the information. And if you want to get some more in-depth knowledge on them, then you can pay us. That's all we're charging for, right? But we're giving everything away for free because it's like, why not? Mm -hmm. This is your birthright. You are here to thrive. You are not just here to survive. I know I keep saying last thing I'm going to say, but this really is the last thing I'm going to say because I want to leave an image. I want to leave a visual. I've been doing this course. I just finished this course with this woman, Ann Tucker, who's um, an angel channel. She channels angels. She's on YouTube. That's how I found her. Check her out. She's great. And um, she did this course that was all about helping individuals balance their masculine and feminine energies through um, these uh, channeled meditations, which are beautiful, and um, and dream analysis. So each person gets to work with a dream analyst. And so as you're going through the course, doing these meditations that she's channeling from the angels, you're also recording your dreams and then sharing them with the dream analyst and they're breaking them down. And it's, it, it, it's been, it's very, it's been very subtle, but it, it definitely is up there on like one of the best courses I've taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've taken a bunch of courses, <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that's been happening more and more over the last, week or two now is I've just been having a lot of images of death Hmm. and having a lot of dreams around death. And it's not just me dying. It's like I'm surrounded by it. And I made the decision today because it was kind of like I'm getting on a plane tomorrow and I'm going to an island and I'm thinking about all the things that could go wrong on that flight on the island. Like the weather's not going to be the best. So I'm just thinking all this worst case scenario shit. And I'm kind of spiraling. But then I was watching a video on uh, Instagram. A couple videos, actually, that sparked this thought. The first was a diver who had a shark swim right up to him. And he just put his hand on the shark's nose. And And it was d- describing in the, the uh, comment area, you know, like in the description area, sharks will go after you if you swim away. That's going to trigger their predatory response, right? So even though it seems counterintuitive to your survival, hold your ground, maintain your peace. And if you need to, put a hand (laughs) on the nose of this thing that could take your arm off and then realize, oh, you're not what I wanted to eat. The next thing I saw was a video of a dude who was feeding a giant fucking alligator, probably in Florida (laughs) or like uh, Louisiana or something, some white guy, a chicken. He was feeding him a fucking chicken. And he gave him the chicken, and then the the crocodile said, "I don't want that fucking chicken," and started coming for him. And so the the dude was backing up, and he tripped, and the crocodile kept coming. And he like you know he was out of shape, but you know when in, in those life or death situations, he hopped up, he got up real quick. Crocodile kept coming, right? And one of his co-workers, I guess, ran through the water with his galoshes on, got in front of the alligator, and and put his hand. On the alligator's snout. And it, it seemed like they were doing some kind of demonstration because it looked like he was talking to people in a crowd or something. But I was like, damn, that's two examples right now of people who understand how to deal with a real threat, a real danger, a real predator. If I'm dealing with any sort of situation that even makes me feel those things, whether it's from an actual threat or just something in my mind, I no longer want to run in fear. I no longer want to die in a place of fear, whether it's dying to myself and who I've been or dying literally. If I'm going to die, if I'm going to die to be resurrected or just die to die, I'm going to do it with bravery. I'm going to do it with two feet on the ground. I'm going to do it boldly. And I'm going to do it breathing deeply, more than anything, breathing deeply and saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for whatever's about to happen. So that's that's just the last thing I want to say because that I know it's been a journey of a lot of different moving pieces, but I I have to really credit this course in the last eleven weeks to helping me get to this place in my subconscious Um, because that's where it came from. It bubbled up from within, you know, like the bubbles of a crocodile breathing at the base of a lake, and you just see them bubbles popping up. You don't know what that is, right? But that's, that's sometimes the depths you got to go to, you know, as Jalil just shared. Um, but it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be. If you make the decision to take your life into your hands, you can choose life, right? You can choose life. You can release death because that shit ain't going anywhere. It just may not be your time right now, but it's going to be one day. And when it does, are you going to be Ready?
0: Mm. Beautiful end, my brother. Beautiful end. The uh, part of the inspiration of our conversation was what it means to be a warrior and a king, a lover and a magician. And uh, the image of the crocodile and the shark is is a powerful reminder of the more the, the stronger, the stronger versions of 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 those four, right? The king and the warrior, standing in the face of imminent death, and not running away, but putting your hand out and saying, I'll, "I will meet you right here on my terms. I will meet you right here. You may still take me out, but that's okay. I'm going to meet you right here." And that's that's the that's the mind of the warrior, right? The mind of the warrior. And it's a future conversation because we're gonna wrap it up here, but um the appreciation that creating moments like that I mean, we have a lot of lovers in the world, right? We got a lot of lovers. if we use the analogy to take it, tie it all into the 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 rat utopia, I think we got a lot of lovers in the world, a lot of beautiful ones. Nothing wrong with that, right? But the reality is that um, the invitation. for us to find a way to express every aspect of those four versions of masculinity in the world right the warrior the king the magician and the lover right and we started going through a whole variety of different examples of people who maybe embody those and who got got a little wrapped up in the in the magician too much, right? Or who got a little wrapped up in the lover too much, or whatever it is. And like, where is the balance? Where's the example of a balanced masculine figure on the world who was able to identify with and embody effectively those four aspects of masculinity? We'll talk about it in more detail in the next episode. Um and I'm not going to give the the I'm not going to spoil the the who that is yet. But all of this is tied into that, right? The willingness to put yourself in a situation where your life is potentially in danger, whether literally or metaphysically or, or metaphorically, is to embody the warrior. And in a world where we are in, in in what seems to be a constant process of of inundation of violence and of 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 um, potential cataclysmic disaster. There is a calling for people to embody that warrior. And when I say masculine, I'm not saying men, women. I'm saying masculine is in the energy of masculinity and ensuring that there's an opportunity for people who are going to meet that imminent danger with an extended hand, an out, 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 outreached hand, grab hold of its snout and say, hey, I'm here. I'm going to meet you here, right here. And we'll do the dance together. You're not gonna chase me. <laughs> you ain't gonna chase. You ain't gonna get me in my back. It uh-uh. won't <laughs> snap me on my booty. Nope, it ain't happening. <laughs> I'm gonna meet you right here, right here. Right. We'll talk more about Earth Warriors and our, uh, you know, the example of uh, of the embodiment of those things as well on our next episode. But this was a beautiful conversation appreciate you brother as always thank you
1: yeah man thank you this really was beautiful i didn't expect it to go here and go where it went but i'm grateful it did and it gave us our next podcast topic so i'm really excited about that because that's also been very alive for us um but gotta tune in for the next one to get that <laughs> one
0: see you next time
1: all right y'all love you brother love you too man